0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. If you have your smartphones, go ahead and flip to Matthew chapter 29. As was said in that video and is said every week at some point in our service, the reason we exist as a church is to help seekers and believers become pay pay no attention to the man. <laughs> to help seekers and believers become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The reason. Our purpose, or our goal, is to help seekers and believers become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ is because we believe that in Jesus we find our truest identity, our fullest purpose, and our fullest humanity. We've got nothing better to offer you than Jesus himself. With that in mind, this last month, last four weeks, we've been walking through a series called Transform. Transform. Um, We've, walked, uh, we've talked about the Christian worldview, the fact that when we say we believe in Jesus, it's, it's more than just a cognitive, yes, we agree with what's been said, or we agree with the historical facts. What we are saying is, my, my existence is based on His existence. That's where I find my reality. We talked about the fact that if we believe God has lovingly invited us into a better story, it naturally flows that if we believe we have been saved, it naturally flows from that that we would want to pursue more of him. We would want to know more about the person of Jesus Christ and know him deep, more deeply. John spoke last week that a transformed life is grown, a a spiritually mature life is grown in a deeper understanding and a consistently nurtured um, life of grace, understanding God's grace, how wide and deep it is and and, and how it's called us in to this new life. Grace is not something we graduate from, ever. We We don't get saved by grace and then fall under law and say, well, I better do this. That's not how it works. It is it is the life we live we live in grace that's where we find firm footing to live out the Christian life. So today with all of that in mind we want to talk about the proclamation of this transformation. The fact that if if we believe this, if we're pursuing Jesus, if we're living in this grace daily, it's natural that we would want to tell other people. Jesus gives many parables about the idea of finding a lost treasure and then having such joy that you want to share the idea with everyone. You don't light a lamp and then cover it up. It is meant to shine light. That that is a natural outgrowth of being transformed By God and by the gospel. With that in mind, we are going to read probably the most common verses we have ever read in this church. Because they're the basis of what it means to be called the church. So with that, I invite you to stand, turn to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It is almost as common as our mission statement as a church. The word of God to us this morning. I'll just read half of the verse prior to that. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. That's a verb. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, and this is the best part, I am with you always to the end of the age. God of grace open up our hearts and minds to what you would want to teach us this morning. Those of us who call you our Father, who are happy to be called children of the living God, who who believe we have been transformed by your Spirit, I pray that you would teach us more of your grace and more of what it means to live out our faith to take on this great co-mission that you want to have with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. One of the, one of the first characteristics of the early church, of so the, the first followers of Jesus Christ, the first worshipers of Jesus Christ, as we read in the, two, the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts, at their essence they were evangelists. At their essence, they wanted to tell more people about this great happening that took place in Jerusalem. Proclaimers of the way, the path towards God, they were called. Am I alright? Check. There I am. And and we would simply say that we are we are doing what comes naturally. They are obeying the Great Commission. But that made sense because that is where they found their greatest purpose. It made all the sense in the world for them to go out and tell people about what had happened in Jerusalem because it completely shook their world and completely redefined who they were. And it still does that, by the way, but they understood that and they, they wanted to tell the world about that. So what I would like to do uh, today is, is three things. I want to look at the des- description in Scripture of, of early evangelism, of sharing your faith, sharing the gospel. I want to look at the prescription of scripture when it comes to sharing our faith. What does it tell us about this faith? How, how we ought to share it? Why we ought to share it? And then I'd like to look at what I'll call just application. This is really straightforward this morning. What does it look like today to share our faith, And hopefully it'll take a bit of the fear factor out of what it means to be Christians today and share what we believe with others. It'll take some of the fear factor out. It won't take it all out. Because when we share the gospel we are going up against a lot of beliefs about what is real in the world. Um, We've been very happy this week to have uh, the Danish cousins in town, and um, this week, uh, staying at our place over the last week and a half, my wife's cousin, Dorda, who's here this morning, um, who's the new face? Uh, we were talking, there she's over there, okay The <laughs> uh, daughter's been uh, visiting with us And, and uh, one of the nights this week, we were sitting on our, our porch Which she says is her favorite place in, in Vancouver, in, in the Lower Mainland, so that's good um, And we were talking about Danish shows that I've watched Because I like to watch a lot of the Danish shows Because I like to read while I watch a movie and, um, but she was sharing with me a movie called Summer of 92, which for those of you who don't know, and this works well with our, uh, World Cup fever that's going on right now. Unless you don't like World Cup football, then it's just illness. But for the for most, for many of us, it's World Cup fever. Um, but she was talking about in 1992 when the Danes, the Danish national football team made the Euros, or they didn't make the Euros, actually. There's a shot of the team. Some of you might know some of them. Schmeichel is the most famous on the left, uh, who was their goaltender, um, but they, they actually didn't make the Euros, and then because Yugoslavia had to pull out because of civil war and embargoes and things going on, the Danes made it in to the Euros. Against all the critics, nobody liked the coach, um, everyone, all the teams thought that they were laughable, the members of the team didn't want to play, they thought we'll be out in the first couple of games. And against all of that, they were able to make it to the final and beat the Germans, they actually won the Euros in 92. It's a Cinderella story. It's on Netflix, so it, it's, a, it's a great movie to watch. But in the in the middle of the story, you have this coach who many kind of dismissed as kind of a hick. He had illustrations that, that kind of seemed a little odd and kind of from the farm, and they didn't, he didn't really seem like the slick kind of coach that they should have, many of them thought. And at one point, he's speaking to his, his assistant coach, and he's basically saying... Uh, from his assistant. He says, you need to motivate the team. They're, they're, not really, they're not really ready to go. You need to motivate the team. And I love his response. He says, I've never understood why I would have to motivate the team. Because they are playing for their nation. They're being cheered on by 40,000 people. Because what could I possibly say that is going to motivate them more than that? It's a good question. So here we stand this morning welcomed into the greatest story that we could imagine. Forgiven by God, welcomed into the family of God, invited to play a part in this amazing work of reconciling the world to God. And if we say we believe him, if we we engage in a pursuit of him, if we're daily understanding more and more this this living and, and developing in his grace, then what more can be said to motivate us to tell people this wonderful news of the gospel? What else is there? He's not only invited us, he's he's commissioned us. So what does this look like in Scripture? Because the early church got this. They got it. They they didn't need to be motivated. We see examples throughout the book of Acts. So so just a bit of a description. The sharing of the faith. It's part of the mission of the church to cooperate with God in the reconciliation and the healing of the world. So if we come to church over and over and we're, we're leaving going, I don't get it. Why, are we, why do we attend church? Why do we, why do we worship here? This whole church thing. What's it all about? It could possibly be because our faith is not active. We, we don't understand that the mission of the church is to be moving outwards and telling people and inviting people into this faith. So in Acts 2... After the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension into heaven, the Holy Spirit pours out in this miraculous way on the, the first followers of Jesus Christ. And they step out in the busiest time of the year in Jerusalem. There are Jewish, religious Jews from all over and they are, they're all speaking different languages. And the apostles go out filled with the Holy Spirit and are speaking to individuals in the languages that are native to them. And in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Something miraculous is going on. But others were mocking. They said they're probably just drunk. <laughs> so, so those are your options. Something amazing is going on, or they've all been drinking far too early. And Peter stands up as kind of the, the voice of the early church. He addresses "says men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And he shares this this story of God's salvation as played out throughout the entire Scriptures, throughout the Bible, that is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And in verse 37, their response is, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do in response to this this story you've just told us? And Scripture tells us that 3,000 people came to faith that day. 3,000. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are are used by God in the healing of a man born lame. And it obviously it gathers a crowd. And in verse 12 of verse 3, he says, Why are you staring at us like this is us? We need to tell you about Jesus. Let us tell you about him. He's the one who's made this happen. Let's take the, the focus off us and on to Jesus. Some of the... The apostles get imprisoned, and then they're they're, they're saved from prison in a miraculous way. They're pulled before the the religious Jews, the ruling religious Jews, who basically says, we can do more than just throw you in prison, by the way. You keep talking about Jesus, you keep talking about this resurrection thing, we will deal with you. And Peter's response is basically simply, how can we obey you instead of God? We find our whole being in, in what Jesus has done. How can we obey you rather than God there's a guy by the name of Stephen in case you think it always goes easy there's a man by the name of Stephen in Acts, Ch- Acts chapter 6 and 7 who basically lays down this critique of the religion of the day and points out some issues with it it makes them mad and instead of 3,000 saying you know what must we do to be saved they decide to kill him instead And at that point, if I'm Stephen, I'm saying, where are my 3,000? I'd rather have the 3,000 than what's going on here. But in verse 60 of chapter 7, he falls on his knees, and and the the description is that he had the face of an angel, and even in the midst of this persecution. Isn't this something we could learn from (laughs) when we're on Facebook? (laughs) He had the face of an angel, he had grace, even in the midst of horrible things being thrown at him. He falls on his knees and he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said that, he fell asleep. Philip in Acts chapter 9 records this kind of significant, significant evangelism because he's one of the first outside of, of the Jewish people. And he finds this, this servant of the queen of Ethiopia reading, reading from Isaiah, actually, as, as John was talking about this morning. And he, he, he runs over to the chariot and asks this extremely theological question see if you can memorize it. Do you understand what you're reading? It's a really hard one to ask. Very simple question, though. Very helpful, very useful. Evangelistic question. Do you understand? Do you understand what you're reading? Does this make sense to you? And from that question, he is able to share the gospel. The apostle Paul goes from trying to rid the ancient world of Christians to becoming one of its greatest missionaries, telling people about this faith, preaching in synagogues, where it made sense to talk about God, speaking to the Greeks about this God. Sometimes people want to kill him. Sometimes they want to invite him over for lunch. Sometimes they want to offer sacrifices in front of him because they think he's a deity. When he's taken to court to answer for himself, he is always ready to do so. Sometimes he just tells his own story. just tells a story to them, and that's how he lays out the gospel for them. Finds himself in prison, he preaches to the jailer. Doesn't matter where he is, he finds himself sharing this story. And someone might ask, how does does someone take going to court and having to answer for themselves, how do they turn that into sharing the gospel? When you're just told to give an account for yourself, well, Paul had no accounting for himself outside of Jesus. None of the apostles did. Any story about them had to include Jesus because in Jesus they found their identity their purpose and their fullest humanity. So we see a handful of Christ followers ready and willing to speak wherever and to whomever about Jesus. That's that's the description we see in scripture living out this witness of the gospel. But what does the Bible tell us to do? What's the prescription of scripture when it comes to evangelism? Romans 10:9 says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how salvation takes place. This, this belief, this sa- giving over of yourself and accepting of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul says, and all of this, this whole gift of being able to come to God, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, you and I, the ministry of reconciliation. Don't read that too fast. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What that means is the minute you and I are brought into the family of God, we're not here to sit on the bench. We're here to jump out and get into the game. It is our job to call people to God. The God of the universe is wanting you to be in relationship with him. So whatever we can do, whatever question we can ask, to maul through that and, and make a clear path for them that is our goal as Christ followers and our tendency is to say but that's for the gifted people all I have to do and and I won't and let's not go over this too fast all I have to do is say you want to come to church that's the extent that's not a bad one sometimes that's as good as do you understand what you're reading I was talking with someone last night just in passing he said I got to share a story with you I wasn't telling him what I was talking about this morning or anything. He said, But I got Brad, I gotta share this story with you. He said, Two years ago, the guy, my neighbor, had was losing his house, his marriage had fallen apart, he was in addiction. He said, Two years to, to today. And today, he's been he goes, I haven't talked to him since. He he went to church and he he just kind of got into community in the church, was was influenced by the gospel. Came to know Jesus, been baptized, he's marrying a wonderful Christian woman last night, and he was the best man, the guy who was talking to me. It all came from one simple question, you want to go to church. Sometimes it's that easy. Scripture does make it very clear that there are some people who are called to the vocation of evangelism. Who, who actually have a living Going out and preaching the word, and like Billy Graham, they just kind of do this, and thousands move forward. I've heard others, other preachers say, you know, I could, I could spend hours unpacking the gospel and the beauty of the gospel and not get one person to come forward. Billy Graham's like, this is it, do you want it? And all these people came out. Some people are called to do that. 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts, and he's speaking to the church, honor Christ the Lord as holy, center Christ as holy, as we sang. Always, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it, this is the one we often forget, with gentleness and respect that's our invitation go out say guys you're invited to this feast you're invited to this gospel it doesn't work well on the internet you're in just come into this beautiful invitation I don't want to what? no 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 gentleness and respect so what we have here in these descriptions and these prescriptions we see this, this proclamation of Jesus but what we, we see is that they need context Right? There, there's a context that needs to be there when we share the gospel. So many of us who are anxious about sharing our faith, is because we've, we've kind of inherited this version of sharing our faith. that has no context to it. When I was uh, 18, I was, I was encouraged to stand outside of milestones. And just as people walk, I can't believe I didn't get kicked off the premises. To walk out, hey, do you know who Jesus is? That scared me. It scared every single person. Nobody left. They, they all saw me on the outside. These are supposed to be people who mature in their faith who are telling me to do this. It needs context, shared in a way that makes sense to the listeners. Asking or answering questions that they are actually asking. And believe me, everyone you know is asking important questions that can be answered with the gospel. You may have heard that my son likes soccer. You may have heard this, that it's, we are a soccer family, but my son is so into soccer that he will start conversations as if we know exactly who he's talking about. Because of some meme he read about soccer, he'll walk in, da 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 -da." and my Lelania will just be like, context, (laughs) you have to give us context. Many of the ways that people have been taught or have shared their faith has no context, and people are just left going, I don't know where you're coming from, I don't know what words you're using, this makes no sense to me. Approaching someone on the street with a tract or or four verses that are the the four ways to get to Jesus so quickly that lacks context. It's impersonal. Second thing is what we we learn in in these prescriptions and descriptions is that it's not a one size fits all. The gospel doesn't change, but the way that we offer it often changes. People come with different baggage, asking different questions. We are not Apple. Apple creates something and then tells you, you never knew you needed this, but I'm going to give it to you, and then just shoves it at you. You must adapt to it. The gospel isn't like that. There are different ways that we can, there are different questions people are asking that the gospel actually answers. Many of the forms of sharing our faith that we grew up with. Maybe they worked at one time because people were asking those kinds of questions. People are asking different kinds of questions now. And we see that the early church did not share the gospel the same way every time. Paul was trained to speak to Jewish people. He grew up as a religious Jew. He was trained as a philosopher, so he knew how to speak to Greek philosophers. But he adapted as he went. He actually kept his audience in mind. Even Jesus changed his approach. When those who were religious and thought they had it all together came, he hit them pretty hard with some truth. When those who came who felt the gospel was too good for them, he loved on them. He spoke gently and he welcomed them in. Oh, there's so many people walking around broken. They don't even know they're broken. (laughs) And so we need to be careful the way we approach them with the gospel. It's not one size fits all. It's also not a debate to be won. The gospel is not a debate to be won. It it, it will not be won on Facebook. I am right and you are wrong. I I have a picture. I think I've used this picture before, but this is a common way that that we deal with... uh, Oh, is the picture not there? Yeah, there we go. Are you coming to bed? I can't. This is important. What? Someone's wrong on the internet. I got to deal with it first. But that's the culture we live in, this kind of fly over and drop truth bombs, and then I'm out. Deal with it, people. As if that's going to change a life. There's no back and forth anymore. We just kind of stand behind our protection and throw our, throw our grenades. The gospel is not a debate to be won. It is a life to be delivered. It is a, a beautiful story of reconciliation to be offered. We get lost in this issue of, of winning the debate Our friend, our family member, our co-worker is not not a quota to be met. They are a person to whom we are calling out, be reconciled to your God. That will drastically change how we approach people with the gospel. Drastically change. So how can this look today? How can this look today? How do we apply this? What's the application Today, How do we live out our faith, share our faith in a context that makes sense, that fits, that is not about a debate to be won? Well, first, we can get off our computers, for starters. Gospel by meme will not do it. Our cute little tidbits, out of context, will not do it. Strange Christian posts with our own Christian language, we're not going to haul in the fish that way. <laughs> it's not how it works. Can there be important Discussions on, online, of course there can. Rarely will they be in public. They will usually be private messages back and forth. Because when you and I try to do a b- debate online, it will always, always, always de-evolve, <laughs> de- de- devolve. It will never evolve. I've never seen someone go, I get it now on a Facebook debate. You were right, I was wrong. Because we, we're all very, very much sensing the crowd around us listening in. So I want to leave us with a few tools, a few handles, some ideas. Perfectly timed for heading into the summer. Starting with this question. What's different about your home? What is different about your home? When people walk by your house, they see you with your family, see you in your yard, wave hello to you, walk by the, you in the hallway or gathering your mail in your apartment building. Do they see anything Different. Is there a sense that you are living out a story much larger than the 9 to 5, Facebook-saturated, look-at-me-and-define-me kind of life that many people are living? Is there something different about the life that you are living, that so many are caught in? If if you moved tomorrow, would the neighborhood be different? Would people be going, oh, no, you're moving? I'm sad to hear that. Or six months, a year, we're like, who used to live there? So let us just reflect on a few ideas as we head into the summer. Now, I'm going to give you four words that I want you to... They're not going to be up there, so you're going to have to write them down or, or just think on them. Four words of this. Merge, merge, reach, listen, tell. Merge, reach, listen, tell. And since I don't have it behind me, I came up with a great acronym. MRLT. Sorry, I don't have a good acronym. <laughs> Merge, invite, cross your lives. Some of you will remember, um, if you're as old as I am, uh, or older, uh, in Seinfeld, when George Costanza had this horrible dilemma of allowing his work universe to converge with his friend universe. And he thought, I can't have these people in relationship with these people, because if they start talking, George will implode. It's not good for George. Many of us live our lives that way as Christians, Don't we? We have our work world, and we there's work, George. There's work, Brad. Then there's then there's church, church, Brad. And if those two meet, they get talking. That could be a problem. That could be dangerous. We need to live the kind of lives where our church life and our work life, our school life, whatever, our family life converge. There's some safety in that, by the way, and it also, it really takes the pressure of sharing your faith off you, but it's also a very powerful tool. If, if you came to my house and I said, last night, aliens landed in my backyard, Lelania and I got into the, the ship, and we went up to their home planet, Jupiter. We had a meal, and then they put us back in the ship, and they took us, they landed us in our backyard, and we were there for like a full day, but because of the space-time continuum, it was like one second. It was like going into the wardrobe in C.S. Lewis, and, and, and we came back. You would have uh, some thoughts going on in your head. Oh, but how about this much more plausible story? 2,000 years ago, God became flesh, and he was 100% God, and he was 100% man. And he lived, and he did miracles, and he raised people from the dead, and then he died. Oh, and if you believe that he died for your sins, your sins can be forgiven. You can live forever. Oh, but he didn't stay there. Then he rose from the, the dead, and, and he showed all his, his disciples. And then he went, he, they watched him. They went up to heaven, and he said, I'm going to come back, and you're going to live forever. So live in hope and joy. Sounds almost as similar to the alien story. If you came to my house and heard that, my alien story, you'd think this guy's crazy. If I had a handful of guests at my house and they went, you know what, that happened to me too. That happened to me too. And then someone else goes, actually, you know what happened to me in the neighborhood last week too? You might not be convinced right away, but the plausibility becomes a little bit larger. If you're the only person who has any influence on your non-Christian friends about the gospel, it becomes, it seems implausible. But as you merge your lives together, and someone else goes, you know what? My life was totally changed by the gospel too. He has a lot. I, in him, I live and move and have my being. I, I, this was my life. I, I had no identity. I had no purpose. But when I, when I just decided to submit to Jesus, it's, it's unbelievable that this change that took place in my life, this burden that was lifted, things become more plausible. It takes the burden off us. There's, there's an aspect where we need to start merging our lives together. So maybe the most spiritual thing you could do, memorize this, is have a barbecue and invite your church friends, your Christian friends, and some of your friends from work. Integrate your life. You do, you, throughout Acts, you don't see people walking in often to places alone. Paul did not go to the synagogue by himself. He usually had someone with him. The apostles did not reach the 3,000, just Peter. They were speaking to each of them, moving out, integrating with people. So that's the takeaway from that point. Have a barbecue and invite people out. If you don't know how to have a barbecue, I can help you light it and show you how to roast meat. It's pretty easy. Let your universes collide. The second, after merge your worlds, is is reach out. Don't don't expect people to come to your stuff if you're not going to go to their stuff. When you're invited to things by friends, go spend time with them. See them in their natural habitat. <laughs> I'm not saying sacrifice your morals and go to things that are bad for your soul, but many of the things that we might be invited to, like movies and, and parties, whatever, could be great stepping stones for sharing the gospel, for leaning in on difficult subject subjects. After being invited and going, you, you've earned a right to speak into their life with the truth of the gospel. Do we need to guard our hearts? Absolutely, we need to guard our hearts. There's places that we should not go because we know ourselves well. But if we claim to have a love for the lost, we will go to places where we don't necessarily feel comfortable. Jesus did that, the apostles did that. And we earn a right to then invite them to our barbecue. <laughs> Thirdly, listen Listen, listen to their story. If sharing our faith needs context, if sharing our faith is not one size fits all, it is not a debate to be, be one, we need to listen to their story. That is where we will find footing to share our faith, is in their story. To share our faith in a way that is natural and loving, that will that we'll find some soil. It, it can only happen if we, if we know who they are. It's difficult to lo- shine light on something when you don't know where to aim the light. Right? So we need to listen to their story. That is where the natural door to enter and share about Jesus is. It's in their story. It's bringing Jesus into their story. It's getting to know people. Otherwise, why should they listen? Lastly, tell his story. Tell, tell his story. How will they hear unless someone tells them, Paul asks? It's not a rhetorical question. There's an answer to that. They won't. They need to hear. How can they come to the point of confess with your mouth that that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if no one takes the time to tell them? Who are you because of Jesus? Take the opportunity To tell them. And don't say it's all puppies and balloons because they'll know you're lying. Tell them who you are and tell them about God's grace. Smother it with God's grace. Take opportunity to share the gospel when it comes. Uh, Sam Chan wrote a great book called Evangelism in a Skeptical World. And he talks about finding those areas where we can speak into people's lives. He says this. Conversation topics exist in three concentric circles, like layers of an onion. It says the outermost layer of conversation is where we talk about interests. What did you do on the weekend? What, do, what books do you, are you reading? What do you do for fun? The middle layer, the, the next one, is where we talk about values. It's where we talk about what is good or bad, better or worse, wise or unwise. These are value statements. Where will you send your children to school? Who will you vote for? What are your views on gun ownership? What do you think of government-funded health care? You'd think that he's writing in America. He's actually in Australia, but that sure sounded American. Finally, the central layer is where we talk about worldviews. This is where we talk about our views on God, life, death, humanity, spirituality, and the nature of reality. This is the underlying core of all that we believe. Will there be life after death? Are humans essentially good or evil? Is there a God? Is God loving and personal or unloving and impersonal? And what Sam Chan says is this. He says, don't miss these opportunities. He says, be alert for what people are saying. Learn to ask questions that transition from one layer of the conversation to the next. Listen for the doors to open and move between, from one circle to the next. But that can only happen if we allow our world's to merge, when we reach out beyond our comfortable community, when we are interested in their story, open enough to share our story, which will include a messy person and a loving God. It's not in church buildings where people are coming to meet Jesus because naturally they're not coming to church buildings anymore, unless they're coming on the, the trusted arm of a friend. It's in living rooms. It's on back porches. It's in coffee shops. Kenneth Scott Latourette, he's a, a, a historian on the church. He says this. He said, "The chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear to have not been those to have been those who made it a profession or a major part of their occupation, but men and women who earned their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those whom they met in this natural fashion." That's how the church, that's how the gospel, moves forward. It's not from this position. It's from the Pitch Editions you're going to find yourself today and Monday through Friday. That's where the gospel, that's where the church grows. Each of your homes is an outpost for the gospel. Each workplace where where a Christian works is an outpost for the gospel. Every backyard barbecue is an outpost for the gospel. At the end of the, the movie I was mentioning to you, Summer 92... The Danes are taking on Germany, and the, the, in, the, in the dressing room at the end, the, the coach is giving them their pep talk. He says, you know the way to play. He says, you know the truth of our system. Now, with all of that in your head, be yourself. You're not called to be someone other than who you are. You are called to be who you are in light of the gospel, so be yourself. Bring your talents, bring your gifts, bring your character to the game. It's the co-mission together with Christ and His church to reach the lost with the good news of the gospel for their good and for His glory. And you and I are the means. There is no other plan. The church is the plan for the reconciliation of the world to its God. You and I are it. So we can sit on the bench, but the view is much better from the playing field. Talk to anyone who is actively sharing their faith. The view is much better from the playing field. So your homework this week and as we head into the summer is to figure out who needs to come to your barbecue. Figure out whose barbecues you need to be going to. You understand barbecue's metaphor, right? Like, be Okay. Learn to listen well to the stories of those around you with their lives and with what they say, and courageously walk through those doors that open up when they tell you those stories. That's what we've been called to. It's a great mission. It's better than any other mission you could be involved in. To call out, be reconciled to your God. Let's pray. God of grace, I pray. I pray that these words would find soil in our hearts. I pray that through your spirit, you would steer us clear of the kind of faith that hunkers down and waits for your return. But like those who first followed you, those who have given us the inspired words of God in the New Testament, that we would want to be actively involved in the co-mission, the commission, the great commission that you have invited us to be a part of. Father, I pray that even now you would bring to our hearts and minds faces, Of family members, people we work with, people we go to school with, people we're going to be spending time with over the summer, neighbors, that we, out of love for them, out of love for you, out of a deep faith, need to invest in, not to meet a quota, not to share a great story but simply because you love them and died for them. So may, the, may what breaks your heart break ours. God, we thank you that the story of Acts, the story of the new church, is not simply courage that is kind of created on our own, but it's a filling and a strength given by your spirit. So it is my prayer right now that you would fill us and empower us through your spirit so that as we leave this place and head into the mission field, you would give us the courage, the joy, the hope, and the love to share the gospel of reconciliation with those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.